Good morning, church. To those uh, on live stream, uh, those in the Fellowship Center, uh, folks in here, so glad everybody could be with us today. It is a beautiful day outside, and uh, we're here to give God glory, first of all, number one, right? And uh, hopefully uh, learn a few things from the Word of God. You can go ahead and be turning into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we'll be uh, working. And uh, uh, I do want to remind you, uh, as uh, uh, earlier Grace did, about Larry Bowe speaking next week. Uh, you know, it's funny because he just, he comes and he speaks in whatever uh, stays within the series and whatever we're in. And last time it was in Romans and he got Romans 7, which was kind of a difficult chapter. So he preached it, did a great job. This time he said, this is the date I can come, and it's First Corinthians 7. I said, what is this thing about the sevens you got? Uh, but uh, it's also kind of a hard chapter, so uh, I'm more than willing to let uh, Larry share with you guys on that. Uh, for our uh, scripture reading, Reese uh, Bird is going to share with us. Come on up. She volunteers in the children's ministry, loves to make things, and we are glad you're a part of our church family, girl. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Amen. Thank you, girl. You did great. I love to see our young men and women up sharing and, and publicly reading the words. You know, Paul told Timothy that. He said that to uh, not neglect the public reading of the word. And I'm glad that we've gotten back to that. And that's a good thing. You did a great job. <clears throat> well, last week we dealt with uh, 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 what it meant to be unified in integrity and righteousness, especially in dealing with leadership. Paul, as a parent... And what that meant as he served that church and trying to get them to really listen and follow. And then also his uh, correction of a terrible situation, uh, a very uh, sexually moral situation where a man uh, was sleeping with his stepmother. And he says, not even the pagans do this kind of stuff. You guys have got to get straightened out on this thing of being moral and what it means. And so he gives a uh, correction to how to handle that how to actually uh, uh, confront that brother for his good, one, to save his soul, and the second, to keep the church pure and protected. And so those were the two results that were desired uh, for him when he was uh, sharing this uh, this correcting situation with the church. So now he, now he continues this correction toward integrity and righteousness as he gets into chapter 6. This chapter is really interesting. I don't really ever uh, uh, hear this preached on a lot, this first section of this. I hear the last half preached on all the time. But the uh, first section, uh, section of this, he doesn't. But I want to start by reading a little bit in First Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 8, and then we'll talk about this section before we move on. If any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment? Instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we'll judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to your shame. Is it possible 
that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother goes to law against another. And this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. So basically, the Corinthian church... Now, remember... The context. Corinthian church is set in a very uh, anti-Christian culture. Very immoral culture. Uh, and uh, the lawsuits were just all over the place. Matter of fact, I, I, even in our country, we kind of get this idea, right? We know the ton of, uh, of things that are really a no account get taken to the courts here. Uh, I read the other day where a guy just won $74,000 in his lawsuit against his neighbor and his neighbor had backed over his hand. But he backed over his hand. He didn't know he was there. And the neighbor, uh, uh, and the guy that was there with his hand there, he didn't know anybody was in the car. He was still in the guy's hubcaps. He's still in his hubcaps. He puts his hand on the ground. He doesn't realize somebody's in the car. They back over his hand. He sues him and wins. Now, how does that work? Now, that's the kind of thing sometimes we get into. The lawsuits are crazy. A guy uh, recently uh, tried to sue Budweiser because on all their commercials, you know, if you drink all this, their type of beer, all these beautiful women come around. And so he he sued them because he drank that beer and could not attract beautiful women. Now, there's a little bit of me just hopes he wins, you know? <laughs> but how crazy is that? <clears throat> the lawsuits that go around. Well, the Corinthians lived in this kind of sue-for-anything situation. Tons of lawsuits in Athens and Corinth and, and during this time. Matter of fact, they would conduct them out in the public market, and it was a part of the entertainment thing. You go out, you buy your food, you do your shopping, you come back, you walk by the marketplace, you watch the judge, and sometimes they would have, uh, 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 presenting over the court, they would have uh, 200 judges uh, or jurors making the decision with the judge. And it was all, it was just, it was a big spectacle. People making their arguments one way or another. So in Corinth, the church that's born out of this terrible culture has already adapted. All these things have already existed in their life. Get it? Remember when you became a Christian, things that already existed in your life, how hard they were to stop those things, right? Uh, how many of you who had a terrible habit of bad language had a tough time correcting that? You know, when you were baptized, uh, I know we baptized you, but we, sometimes it's like we didn't baptize the tongue. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it didn't make it because, man, that just, the automatic stuff just comes out. Well, their culture, they had some things in their life that were like that. Uh, and so, one of these things was this civil suits over silly stuff. And he says, look, to some degree, Paul says, look, you gotta stop this. Now, now, the, you're losing your integrity with all these disputes. 
So take care of these disputes with each other in within the church so that you don't destroy your testimony. If you if God is going to use you somehow or another, and I don't know how this is going to work at the end. But if God is going to use you somehow or another in the process of judgment at the end of the world and even judgment over the angels, shouldn't you be able to make decisions spiritually with each other to take care of your own business? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this practice. We've actually practiced this here at our church. We've had we've had members that have a problem with each other in business and one of them sue, uh, wants to sue the other one and thinks they owe him and the other one says, no, he doesn't owe me, he didn't do the work. And so we'll, we'll let them pick some of the elders or leaders and they'll gather up and listen to both sides and they all agree to go with whatever the decision is and they handle the matter that way. That's the way it's supposed to take place. We don't go out to the world to handle these civil disputes like that. We do that within the body of Christ. We can do that. We've got God's wisdom. We've got God's word. We've got godly men and women who can help make decisions. We can practice this. And we need to practice this. Don't take your brother to the outside world to court. Now, he's not talking about cases like murder and criminal cases. It's not about that. This is about these, uh, really, most of these were over land situations. It's a civil deal about, you know, that's my border. I sold this land. You didn't pay me enough. And all these kinds of things. Uh, yes, I did. And so let's gather up everything and figure out how to do this. And so he was saying, you don't take your disputes to the world. It destroys your testimony. Remember, their whole problem was unity. Well, why wouldn't it be if the world can look in and see you're not united even on how you take care of business? The other thing about this uh, loss of integrity on disputes is he tells them not only don't take it to let them, but then he says, and look, take one for the team. Let's say your your brother does have a problem with you. Even if it's agreed and the situation is settled with the church and he owes you money, why not show him mercy? This idea of claiming our rights and you owe me and it's my right to have that is killing, it's killing our culture, but it kills the church too. Look what he says here. Wouldn't you rather uh, be defraud? Or allow yourself to be cheated for the sake of the kingdom? Take one for the team. I heard of a man recently that they practiced this within their church. And when the guy uh, the guy that they uh, found in favor of, uh, uh, the other man owed him money. And they all agreed to it within the church. And so uh, when it came to it, then they challenged, they gave their decision, the elders did. And then they challenged the man who was to receive the money, who won, they challenged him to show mercy. Because this guy had gone through a terrible, terrible financial problem and a loose loss of a job. He's like, look, wouldn't you rather help your brother in this situation? And the guy said, you bet. He erased the, He just totally erased what he owed him. I thought, now that's how you do business. So take one for the team. Brother owes you a little something. Show some mercy. After all, how much mercy did God show you? See? Remember? Look at how much mercy he's shown me. Why wouldn't I want to be merciful to someone else? Why do I always want to claim my own rights? 
And we're going to skip this next little section and come back and get it at the end of the sermon. I don't, I don't want you to think I'm avoiding it. We're going to get 9 through uh, 11 a little bit. Now he comes to this loss of righteousness uh, uh, through sexual immorality. Now in Corinth, uh, now he's already dealt with sexual immorality. Remember, we dealt with that back in chapter 5. But this is a different situation. In this, uh, uh, in Corinth, they had the temple of uh, Aphrodite's. And at the temple of Aphrodite's, they had, uh, uh, which was to a lot of gods, and they practiced that idolatry, the, uh, you know, they sacrificed food, uh, meats to the idols, and all this kind of stuff. And so they had gone through this learning about, well, you know what, that meat's okay to eat. That doesn't mean I'm, that doesn't mean I am uh, offering it to an idol just because I eat meat. I, I've left that. That's empty anymore. That's, I'm not worshiping. I'm just eating meat, right? But they also practiced something else. They practiced temple prostitution. And so they had priestesses that, 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 that lined up around the temple that man would come up to these prostitutes and as an act of worship to their idolatrous gods, the prostitutes would be sexually immoral with people who came to the temple. So basically they're harlots. And so that's that was also within their culture, and they had seen that thing a ton of times. You talk about a culture, kind of sounds like our culture in a lot of ways. I don't know any churches yet where they're lined up practices, but I, we probably could find some in the United States. I know they've been in a ton of cults, by the way. Isn't that amazing? Almost all cults you find sexual immorality. So he says this, because they've heard this before so they they're quoting this and trying to make a rationalization uh for their or trying to get a justification for their actions and paul destroys their justifications here in the first few verses everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial he said well look look if i've got freedom in christ then hey it's this you know it's permissible everything is permissible for me but I'll not be mastered by anything. Any of you have ever been mastered by something? If you've had an addiction, you understand what this means. Mastered by someone or by something. <clears throat> and then here's their argument. Well, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Both God will destroy them both. Hey, we go up there. We, we, we can eat those meats now. And, and actually, that's just natural ap- appetite anyway. And uh, we don't do that to a God anymore, so it's okay. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. So they apply the same logic to the body. Then he said, but he tells them, but God will destroy them. But then the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. He says, it's not like that. You can't go up and be a part of these prostitutes and say to yourself, well, I'm not worshiping the idols anymore. I'm a Christian. I've got freedom to do what I want to. And so, uh, after all, they're the ones that are worshiping, not me. It's just empty stuff to me. It's just satisfying my appetite. It's just like when I go eat the meats. Now, I go satisfy the appetite of my body. And he says, no. No. That's not what happens. The uh, the body is not meant for that. See, they were looking at that as if it was morally neutral. 
to practice this. It wasn't morally neutral. It was immoral. Because they didn't understand about the body. The body is for God. And God is for the body. Now he goes on to explain this. Look what he says. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he'll raise us also. Do you not know, by the way, he says that phrase several times throughout this chapter. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, you're going to see three things through here. You're going to see, you're going to see that he shows that the body has a future, that the body is for unity, and that the body is for holiness. If you want to say it this, this way, destiny, holiness, and unity. All three of those are involved within the body. Remember, the body is for Christ. But Christ died for the body. Because that body one day is coming out of the ground. The death is not the end. And Jesus proved it when his body came out of the ground. And just like he was raised, you're going to be raised. So therefore, you're going to use your body for the Lord because he died for your body. He didn't just die to save your soul, your spirit. It's body, soul, and spirit. See, that was another idea among them that existed that time. That the spirit and soul was, or the soul was good. The body was bad. And so as long as I keep my spirit or my soul good, I'm good. I don't really have to worry about the body. He says, no, God didn't die for part of a man. He died for the whole of man. Body, soul, and spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And then he uses this word really a little bit stronger in the Greek. It says, never. Don't you dare do that. Your members. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute? Is one with her in the body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So he says this. You're a member. Your body is attached to Jesus Christ. You're a member of Christ. You can't detach yourself from Christ and attach yourself to a prostitute. No, what you do, you are attached to Christ And when you practice this sexual immorality, you are pulling Christ down into the bed of a prostitute. Now picture that. That's the extent of this sexual immorality that's taking place. And it's in the church. And so he's challenging their lives for holiness. What's the answer? Verse 18 through 29, he gives you, flee, run, fast as you can. Be a Joseph. Leave your coat behind, take off, get out of there. You know, it's funny, with sexual immorality, he never says, you know what, uh, uh, let's sit down and talk about it. He, he, he never gives you advice like, uh, if you were, uh, I know, Tommy, you guys have done a lot of premarital counseling, right? You know, that type of thing. I, I used to do that uh, uh, in my younger days. Um, 
And uh, but uh, uh, if you have a couple struggling with trying to stay pure before they get married, what do you do? You tell them. I tell you what y'all do. Uh, when when y'all are getting close, y'all just uh, sit down and reason through it and talk about it and and whatever you know. Just you know, at your apartment, wherever. No, get out of there. Get somewhere else. Someone said, well, Mike, we were just, well, I remember one couple, Mike, we were just going to go into our apartment just to talk, you know, and some of, one of them maybe told me, we're just going to read the Bible, and I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> he said, where do you want us to go? I said, go to the bowling alley. Man, we used to have a bowling alley right here. I said, go to the bowling alley. I've been down there a bunch of times. I've never seen anybody having sex at the bowling alley just out there on the, I mean, I hadn't seen that. Go there and talk. Go to a restaurant somewhere. Go be in public with people. But get out of the situation. Flee. Get out of it as quick as you can. Bad news if you don't. So there's one deal, as he says, the answer to this is flee. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins, he says, a man commits are outside his body. But he commits sexual sins, he sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Your body contains the presence of God. It's the temple of God. And a temple is meant for holiness. You must choose holiness over happiness. God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Then he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So you do two things. The answer, flee and glorify God. Flee section, run and get out of the situation, and then glorify God, honor Him with your body. Remember Romans 12? We present our bodies. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable worship. It's our reasonable service. Well, now let's go back up and pick up verses 9 through 11. These, these verses in the middle of this chapter are transition. But they, they apply to both sections. They apply to the people suing one another and doing wrong by each other. And being a bad testimony. And they apply to people losing their integrity and righteousness in their sexual immorality. Especially in this idea that I have the freedom to go up here to this temple and practice all this if I want to. No, you don't. This is the change and motivation for integrity and righteousness. Verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know any other way to say it. But if I practice this in my life, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm out. And then I love the next verse. And that is what some of you were. 
He says, remember who you were. You were all this way. By the way, that's us. Remember who we did these things. There's some in this room that practice homosexuality. There's some in this room that practice adultery, swindling, cheating. By the way, not one of those sins is worse than the other. If you're lost, you're lost. You can't be loster because you have a particular sin. To practice this means I don't have that. But he says, but and some of you were. You did this. These were in your life. I know. Look, if you're baptizing people out of Corinth, they had this in their life. If we baptize somebody out of our culture that knows nothing about God, they've got these things in their life. And that is what some of you were. But, I love it. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You get it? When we have people struggle with these things, first of all, we don't shoot our wounded. We walk with each other on our journeys no matter how difficult it is. Because all of us were something before we were in Christ. And look, baptism doesn't drown the devil. So we still fight some things in our lives too, don't we? The difference is we don't practice those things. Habitually, they're not our lifestyle anymore. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with them, but they're not our lifestyle. That that was our lifestyle before. We didn't care. Live however you want to. Eat, drink, and be married tomorrow you die, right? But he says, that's what you were. You're not that anymore. I'm here to tell you, if this is what you are, if you're part of that list, you don't have to be that anymore. Change can happen now through the story of Jesus Christ. Now, he says these three words. He says, so first he says, remember who you were. Now he says, remember who you are. He says, you were washed. This word washed here, it's, just, it's only used one other time. It's in Acts 22, verse 16, where Saul is told to rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's the only other time it's used. He says, you were washed. You call on the name of the Lord, your sins were gone. Then he says, you were sanctified. That means to be set apart for God's purpose and holiness. God picked you and set you apart and said, I'm going to work something through your life. You have a purpose now you didn't have before. Don't you want a purpose in life? God gives you that. You're sanctified. And then he says you're justified. Justified is the idea that you stand in front of that legal system and you're declared innocent. You're innocent because no longer that law that you broke no longer applies to you. Jesus Christ Paid for your breaking of the law. And now you are justified. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. Now go live like it. Which they needed to remember that. In how they handle the body of Christ. 
with each other and their problems. And then they need to remember that toward their own body that's for Christ in dealing with sexual immorality. Change is possible in the body of Christ, in the relationships. And change is, is possible in your body and its relationship to Christ. Don't destroy each other. Glorify God in your body. You're bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for me and for you. He listened. Because that's so familiar, don't let don't let the pride get in the way about here. He died for you. He died for me. I didn't deserve it. He died for me. He bought me. I'm bought. I'm paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my response has got to be to glorify God with my body, with my soul, with my mind, with my heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your body. That kind of change can take place in your life today through the blood of Jesus. If you have a need to respond, come all together we stand and sing.